Hi, I'm Alexandra, and I am the creator of Alexandra's Adventures. I want to explore different topics, learn new things, and share my discoveries with all of you. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome back to the Pensieve Podcast, a segment dedicated to the magical world of Harry Potter. I am back today with my mom to discuss Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, the second novel in the series. First, we will be talking about the novel and some key points that are different between the novel and the film. And stay tuned for today's Scholarly Second at the end of the podcast. Hello, everybody. It is so nice to be back again. Now, Alex, are we going to start at the very beginning or are we going to start when Harry gets to the Weasleys? Yes, we're going to jump forward a couple chapters to where Harry's now at the Burrow. What a great family home that the Weasleys have. And after the events of what has taken place of Fred and George and Ron breaking Harry out of the Dursleys' house, and they are now at the Weasleys having had breakfast and settling in, and it is now time for all of the kids to get their school supplies, which means they have to get to Diagon Alley. What, no Amazon? Sadly, can't get our spell books and cauldrons on Amazon, or at least the ones we need. So... The Weasleys, being a wizarding family, are connected to what is called the Flu Network, which is a part of their fireplace. And as we know, the what you need is flu powder in order to get it to work. And you grab a handful, throw it in the fireplace, and shout out your destination. And it discusses green smoke, and suddenly you are there. Okay, that doesn't sound (laughs) sketchy at all. That's like my best explanation of it. And what is so amusing is they're like, Mrs. Weasley tells Harry, like, you can go first, dear. And Ron goes, whoa, wait, Harry has never used the flu network. He doesn't even know what we're talking about. And so Ron ends ends up going first, which is probably a good thing to do. As an example, you would have thought. Yes. Until Harry goes in his turn and they tell him to speak clearly and in the movie it is hilarious because I believe what he ends up saying is like diagonally yes and you're just like what part of speak clearly did you not comprehend (laughs) which makes me wonder how many takes did they have to film in the making of that movie to get him to appropriately say diagonally. Yeah. Or inappropriately say it. To say it incorrectly. Well, that also makes me wonder, like, this is totally off topic, but the spells, (laughs) like, you have to say the spells a certain way. Like, if you say it with just a different inflection. Is it leviosa or leviosa? But, like, with the spell either not work or would you just end up doing a completely different spell which could be a worse outcome than what you were planning well in this case wasn't it a an alternate outcome i mean this was an alternate outcome so saying diagonally i still don't comprehend exactly how harry ended up in borgen and burks but the flu network 
took him to Bort. He came out of the fireplace at Borgen and Burks, which is a store located in Nocturne Alley, which is, as we find out from Hagrid, not a place Harry should be walking around. Okay. Um, but it's so this the specific scene, he ends up in Borgen and Burks and he kind of explores and he starts to realize like this is kind of a dark place. Not so not a place that a child should necessarily be. And in the movie, he just realizes he's in the wrong place and immediately walks out and is trying to figure out where he is. And these people start to come up to him and they're trying to like lure him to go someplace. He's like, no, I'm just not in the right place. Like blah, blah, blah. And that's when Hagrid comes in and saves the day. Of course. Which still happens in the book. Like Hagrid does save him. However, there's much more that goes on in Borgen and Burks itself. And I actually, while double checking something and looking some stuff up, found out that there is a deleted scene of this specific scene in the book. And I'm so mad that they took it out of the movie because it adds so much, in my opinion. Well, that happens in a lot of them. Yes. So in the book, um, Harry notices Draco and who must be Mr. Malfoy, his father, Lucius, approaching the store and looking to come in. And so he hides in the cabinet and... Because he doesn't want them to see him, and he wants to know why they're there. So, logical. Yes. <laughs> so, I wouldn't want to run into them. Yeah, so he hides in um, this cabinet and is watching Mr. Malfoy deal with, I believe it was Mr. Borgen. And he's trying to sell items that are in his possession in his home because the ministry is currently conducting raids on private residences specifically to find items of a darker quality, like darker magic, darker quality. Um, but also in the film deleted scene, I believe it referenced, it was a part of a new muggle protection act. Um, and we find out later that Mr. Weasley is actually a part of the, ministry that is doing these raids. Is, isn't this where they're trying to get items that are muggle items that have been um, magically enhanced? So I can't remember if that is specifically like a part of that because Mr. Weasley does work in the part of the ministry that is known as uh, the Division of the Misuse of muggle artifacts i believe it is called it's something along those lines okay um so yes he could definitely get in trouble for some things that he definitely has at his house that we find out later yes um but mr lucius malfoy is um part of me would say nervous he wants to keep his image and so he's like i'm not gonna get caught by the ministry having this stuff in my house i need to quietly get rid of these things, preferably at a profit. Exactly. And so he takes these items and he's uh, selling them to Mr. Borgen. And eventually they leave and Harry's finally able to leave the store and eventually gets back to the Weasleys and now Hermione and her parents 
with the help of Hagrid. And at this point, they're like, Harry, where have you been? We were so nervous. We lost you. We couldn't find you. We were looking for you. And Harry does tell Mr. Weasley and Ron what he saw. So Mr. Weasley has this tip that the Malfoys do have some things at home and he gets a little excited because that means like, hey, I've got a witness. Not that he can necessarily use Harry for this. Right. But this also leads into the next thing I really wanted to talk about, which takes place at the bookstore. So at Flourish and Blots, they're getting their books for the new school year. And lo and behold, Gilderoy Lockhart is here promoting his books and his new, I believe it's his new memoir, the, and it's line out the door of all these wizard moms. So excited to see him. They're all in love with him. Ron teases, like they, the kids all tease their mom because they're like, oh yeah, mom's in love with him. He's got a fan base. He really does. And it's during this whole course of events that we actually find out that Gilderoy Lockhart will be the new professor for Defense Against the Dark Arts. Of course. At Hogwarts, which something we'll get into later is him as a person. Yeah. However, at this point, um, after they this whole thing with like him seeing Harry and wanting to take a picture with him because it'll be great for pub pub publicity. Because he is a publicity hound. Yes. Um, Lockhart, not Harry. Yes, Lockhart. Harry is so embarrassed by all of this. He's like, I do not know you. I do not want to be doing this right now. Like, you're freaking me out. Please leave me alone. Yeah. And so Molly takes all of their books and is just like, you guys go outside, wait at the front. I'll get them all signed and paid for, and then we'll be good to go. So in, we see this better in the movies, but as they approach the door, um, they specifically being Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Ginny Weasley, who will be entering her first year at Hogwarts this year Yay! as the youngest Weasley, they get stopped by Draco, who they run into. And Draco teases them and then is realizing like when she, he teases Harry and Ginny stands up for him. He's like, oh, you got yourself a little girlfriend. And then Ron is mad. And so they're all fighting. And then we enter in the book, we enter parents. In the movie, we do like, this is when Harry and Mr. Weasley comes in with, and Mr. Malfoy comes in and Harry gets to meet Lucius and everything. But in the book, there's so much more interaction and specifically what I just find is hilarious is the fact that <laughs> Mr. Malfoy starts insulting the Weasleys and Arthur's just like, I've had it. And he throws down, he launches himself at Lucius and they fight and it's like, whoa, not expecting that. No. Like usually the parents are a little more like, let's settle this. Well, Mr. Correct. Mr. Weasley seems he's he's much more of a pacifist than yeah. the Malfoys. I definitely wasn't expecting that, and so like reading it again, it just it made me laugh, and I loved it. But throughout this interaction, we see this, and rewatching the movie. So, Chamber of Secrets is one of the movies I 
watch the least. It just stresses me out sometimes. But watching the scene again, like the sly of hand, the is amazing. And like so while Lucius is insulting them, he picks a book out of Ginny's cauldron that she's holding and is like, oh yeah, the book's all torn up. Like you must be a Weasley. And when in the okay so like in the book after the fight he's like trying to get Hagrid to let go of him and he like thrusts the book back at Jenny and it's just like here take it and he leaves so in the movie he takes the one book out but puts two books back in the cauldron and I think this is a great way of like alluding to it because in the book we do find out later like when Harry's revealing everything that happened, he brings up the fact that, like, it was Lucius Malfoy who gave Ginny the diary. But in the movie, we don't necessarily fully get that reveal as as simply as it is in the book. It's slowly revealed, and so this is kind of like a subtle like, push towards how this book will come into play later. It might be important, but you have to kind of notice that, and I definitely see that as something people would miss i definitely feel like i missed that yeah i mean because you're not focused right on his hands or the book when it's all happening you're listening and watching the entire scene so i don't remember in the movie that they like zeroed in on it or anything so yeah many people could have missed that yeah and so not only is this important like the diary has an important role as we find out but in this scene, what I want to discuss specifically as well is an alternative view to this scene. So in, as we know, when Draco is met, it's very unpleasant. Um, so we first meet him and Harry makes his own decisions in the book and they are designated as enemies. Mortal enemies. Yes. So that is the main view. Like Draco versus Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Yes. The alternate view of the scene is Draco's forced to have these views by his family, which is not an alternate view in general. Like, that is just the truth. This yes. is how he was raised. Yes. However, someone could view this as, in a whole, like, taking the whole entirety of the events into play with this one scene, not just this one scene in general, as Draco kind of wanting to it can be read as Draco wanting to have them as friends. Like he wants to befriend Harry, Ron, and Hermione and doesn't want to be us versus them here. He doesn't want to be a jerk. Yeah, he wants to be their friend and he wants to help them. And so knowing that what, so knowing that it, as we find out later, it is Tom Riddle's diary and knowing the events of the Chamber of Secrets, the book itself, we know later on that Hermione gets petrified yes we have no clue at this point how she became petrified but or who was behind it but she has been found and it really freaks ron ron and harry out because they don't know what's going on she's the brains like how how do we get through this and they figure out they realize she's got a piece of paper in her hand and this is the clue they've been looking for so in the book, it specifies that this piece of paper looks like it came out of an old textbook. And 
the reason I bring this up is it's a torn out page. And knowing Hermione, she would never destroy a book. Yeah, I, I do not see her as being one to destroy a book, rip out no. a page, even if it would save all of their lives. She would copy it onto a parchment. <laughs> that or she'd just take the whole book, yes. honestly. But she has this ripped out page, page of a book that specifically has a passage on basilisks being the king of serpents. And at the bottom, the only thing that is from her that is written is the word pipes. And that's when Harry's able to put it together that this creature that has been petrifying students and Filch's cat and the ghost, nearly headless Nick, mm -hmm. has got to be a basilisk, which is why he's the only one who's being able to hear it is because he's a parcel mouth. He's a parcel tongue. Mm -hmm. And it's been moving through the pipes. Like, Harry's finally able to put it all together with Hermione's help, even though Hermione's petrified. So, yes, because he can hear the snake, but he figures it's in the pipes because he can always hear it, but he never sees it. Exactly. Yeah. So the reason I bring this up is because in the movie, before Draco approaches them, he's seen walking down the steps in the bookstore, and he is holding a book, he opens it, he rips out a couple pages and shoves them in his robes, and then continues walking when he confronts them. And it's such a subtle action. Like, we all know the Malfoys come from money. Mm -hmm. He could easily have bought this book. Right. So why rip the pages? What is so special about these couple pages? Why did he just rip? Like, why? Why is right. the question? Because and they never come into play anywhere else with him, correct? No, like, <laughs> he's never shown with random pages of a book ever. It's just him ripping pages. So a reading of this could be that Draco... Knows. He knows what's in the Chamber of Secrets, or doesn't necessarily know, because he does tell Ron and Harry when they use the Polyjuice Potion that he doesn't know who's doing all of this. He doesn't know what's happening. But I have a feeling he at least knows that, like, there might be the Basilisk, mm -hmm. because a reading of it is figuring out if he supposedly knows some little bit is that he ripped out the page of this random book that talks about the Basilisk. And but, left it for Hermione to find. Yes, because... He knows they wouldn't trust him if he right. just handed them this. So, like, he had to leave it for her to find. Right. And so a reading of it could be that he... Wants to help. Wants to help and leaves the page for her to find. And then when she finds it, she writes pipes. And that's why she has a crumpled up piece of paper. Yeah. That is a plausible alternative view of that scene. Yeah. And I think it also, like, opens it up to... Like, what if kind right. of thing. Like, yes. what if it actually worked out and then they realized, like, Draco, and then they could have been friends. It would have changed a lot of these yes, seven books. Yes. But it would have definitely been interesting. Um, as I mentioned, we've met Gilderoy Lockhart, and he also has something to do with this, with some missing scenes from the movie that I think are really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, hiring him in general, he's... <laughs> He is a, the term that comes to mind for me is a bloviating blowhard. Like, what does Dumbledore do? Just go, who's going to cause the most ruckus and the yes. most fun this year? Like, he's not competent to be a professor. It's almost like Dumbledore is a hiring manager, but 
it, it it's almost like Gilderoy Lockhart is somebody's idiot nephew that needs a job and they've told Dumbledore to hire him. Honestly, that is one of the best explanations <laughs> yeah. of this because like, I mean, in reality, if you look at it, <laughs> so when you look at it directly, he's got an impressive resume, but again, if yeah. you look at it in true reality, when you find out later, like, his resume is completely made up. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like many people nowadays. <laughs> exactly. Because, well, we find out later, like, when they get to the chamber. Um, so he's been, he's always making these comments like, you know, if I was there, I would have known the reverse charm or the reverse curse. I could have fixed this. He also is like, I'm going to fix your broken arm, Harry, when Harry gets hit by the vulture right. and removes all his bones. Like, well, you know, he fixed the bone, so to speak. He fixed the pain. He got rid of it. <laughs> but, like, Madame Pomfrey was so mad. Yeah. I What a queen. Like, yes. Madame Pomfrey, love her. But Lockhart, come on, man. Yeah. Like, <sighs> so what is he an expert at? Uh, so he's an expert, as we learn, at the Obliviate charm. And that's the one that makes which you can, you forget everything, you correct? You can remove memories, so you can do it. So it's got like, from what I can in interpret, it's got different levels. So it can be like short memories, like it could be a quick memory because I know that they um, obliviate people of just like they obliviate muggles if they see wizard stuff, but they right. don't just obliviate their whole life. But as we know, like you can also obliviate certain things because later. In the series, Hermione obliviates her parents. Right. To only forget her. Right. And then there's the end of the book where Gilderoy steals Ron's wand, which is broken. So not working appropriately. Been, yes, and hasn't been working. And so he tries to obliviate Ron and Harry and says, like, oh, you guys fainted. Like, she, she died, who we find out is Ginny. And... I saved the day or whatever, because right. that's what he's been doing. And <laughs> which we can figure out that yeah. he's been doing that his entire career, essentially. And when he casts the charm, it actually rebounds, rebounds. Yes. And um, wipes out his entire life, essentially. And he just is like a child. Yeah. Um, so, you know, powerful charm. <laughs> yes, it is. But... Another thing is how, like, gullible he is based on as long as it's about him, he'll go along with it. Because, so in the movie, like, so in the movie when they need to make the Polyjuice Potion, they get the book in the library. Right. Now Hermione just gets it off some random shelf. Because she knows exactly where it is. Yes. However... In the book, that's not the case. It's actually located in the restricted section of the library, which you can't get into unless you have a pass from a professor. And I'm pretty sure, okay, first of all, Snape is going to be, uh, I don't think so. Why would I help you get a book anywhere? Exactly. Uh, McGonagall, she'll know. You know. She may not know exactly, but she will know that they want to do something nefarious, so to speak. Yeah, honestly, I would never cross her. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, who's the obvious choice? Yeah, I mean, there are obviously more professors, but those are the two main ones they'd probably go to who would 
obviously say no. So they realize it needs to be someone gullible enough to like go along. Yeah. And so they go to Lockhart and Hermione is the one who asks because she, as many of the young girls do, have a crush on him. But she's able to flatter him into like, so I really liked this part of your book and I would like to learn more about it. Can you sign off on this pass so I can get this book from the restricted section of the library? Mm -hmm. And he's like, of course. Like, I would love to. And he does like this fancy signature and she like really wants to keep the pass after that because it has his signature. Uh But they're able to get the book and brew the polyjuice potion, which leads them to be able to figure out more clues and like figuring out what's going on. It allows them to sneak into Slytherin common room or mm-hmm. at least Ron and Harry. All right. Um, and talk to Draco more and stuff. And that's when you find out a little more info about everything going on. And like someone like opened it 50 years ago, blah, blah, blah. And like, they get a little more info. They do get info talking to Draco, mm-hmm. but they also are brewing this potion in the girls' bathroom that is known as Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Yes. So we get some brief interactions with Moaning Myrtle, and we also get to meet her a little more at um, Nearly Headless Nick's death day party in the book, which is um, exactly what it is, the day of his death. Uh, It's like a celebration for him, and we actually learn that she's teased by the other ghosts like she's left out and so you kind of feel bad for her but we get to learn more about her and we eventually learn that she harry and ron put it together she was actually the girl that got killed 50 years ago by whatever was in the chamber okay and um she's the only student that has been killed we do learn that because so far all the people have only been petrified Okay. Including the cat and the ghost. Now, is that why they figure out that the entrance is... In her bathroom. In her bathroom? Okay, yes. because that's where she generally is. Yeah, so yeah. they actually... That's where she died. Um, she was crying in the cu- her cubicle and heard a, someone come in and they she realized it was a boy. And she was leaving the cubicle to, like, yell at him to get out. And she said he spoke in a different, like, language. She didn't understand... And when she left, she said, all of a sudden I was dead. And that's when they realize, huh, it was the basilisk, mm-hmm. giant snake, and speaking parcel tongue. Yes. So that's when they realize the entrance is in the in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, okay. actually. And so then they are eventually able to get to the chamber where Harry gets separated from Ron and Lockhart, but is able to eventually save... Ginny Weasley, who is slowly dying as Tom Riddle is coming to life, who was the one who opened the chamber 50 years ago. Um, And as we learn, his name is Tom Marvolo Riddle, whose diary Ginny had, which is the book Lucius Malfoy dropped in her cauldron. Okay, yes. Um, So... We learn she's had this diary. Harry eventually gets it, but Ginny gets it back. And it's it's held a part of his life. And we later learned that it was a horcrux. Mm-hmm. But we don't know this at this point. No. It's just got a portion of him in it. He's trying to come to life as 
Tom Riddle at that time. But we also learn that this young man is early life of Lord Voldemort. And therefore, you know. Bye. Not a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a really interesting point that in the book... Harry stabs the diary once with the basilisk fang after killing the basilisk with the sword of Gryffindor, mm-hmm. of Godric Gryffindor. Um, the fang, stab, he stabs the diary with the fang and it essentially kills Riddle and puts the life force back into Jenny. Okay. In the movie, I think it's pretty cool. So the movie scene is way longer than this section in the book, but it's a really dramatic scene, so it's great. Um, for cinematically, mm-hmm. that's the right way to say it, cinematically. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool. So what he does in the movie is he has the diary flipped open and he stabs a page and it's like part of the life is taken from Riddle and he's trying to approach Harry to stop him and Harry stabs the other side and it takes him back again. And then He's still trying to get back to Harry, and Harry just slams this diary shut at 12 years old. Of course. At 12 years old, and stabs this diary again. And all of a sudden, like, this light, and Tom Riddle's now slowly disappeared. Mm -hmm. And Ginny comes back to life, and she's freaking out. And he's like, it's okay, Ginny. We're all good now. Like, you're safe? And the diary's destroyed, in a sense. Yes. Um... And it's it's a pretty cool scene because it also incorporates Ginny as a character more so because she's played a huge role throughout this entire storyline. Now, Ginny's role has been super interesting because it's been really background secret. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the one who opened the Chamber of Secrets. She's the one who's been leaving messages on the wall. And we... It does set her up, like, in a really bad way. Right. However, we do learn that she's essentially possessed by the memory Very of Tom, Tom Riddle. Riddle. Which comes up because she has the book. Yes. And so what is interesting is you can read this two different ways. One being Lucius Malfoy knew what the diary was mm-hmm. and wanted to cause trouble at Hogwarts. Jeez. Shocking. Pretty easy to, that's a great way to look at it. The other view um, that I just was thinking about recently was that Lucius wanted to get the Weasleys in trouble, like get Mr. Weasley in trouble, because mm-hmm. it would be a dark artifact. Yes. So if it was in Ginny's cauldron and then she left it at home and they raided the Weasleys' home. Then they would they find would, that book. and. Yeah. There would they, their their reputation would just bad things would go away. occur. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's either way the outcome is still like it didn't occur the way Lucius wanted it to. <laughs> Does it ever? Um, and when he confronts, like, first of all, I would just like, well, okay, I guess you don't really need that. I was gonna be like, I want to know why Lucius is just able to walk, come walk into Hogwarts because you don't really see any other parents do this. But he is one of the governors of the school because of his whole, we learned late earlier, like, he's a pain. But at the end, he's, like, coming in and he's all angry because things didn't go the way he planned. And that's when we learn that 
the house elf we met earlier in the book, Dobby, is actually the Malfoys. And it's officially confirmed that Dobby is the Malfoys house elf. And Harry's like, hmm. I can mess with them. Yeah, he's like, I can finally do something good and mess with the Malfoys. Yes. Because we do learn at the beginning for, or throughout that from Dobby that he wears like this potato sack. And it's the mark of a house elf because the only way they can be set free is if their owner gives them clothes. clothes. And so Harry actually asks Dumbledore if he can borrow the diary and give it back to Lucius. And I say borrow because it definitely ends up back in Dumbledore's possession. But he hands it back to Lucius and Lucius is just like, he's like, I think this belongs to you. And Lucius is like, thanks like he's like i'm not gonna admit it but like thank you and like shoves it at dobby who dobby take this yeah he like now has the book and harry's like open it like all secretly and dobby opens it and there's a sock in there so malfoy has given dobby a sock yes so dobby is a free elf and he is now free dobby and this pisses Malfoy off because he's like, you just lost me my house elf. Like, how could you? Which, first of all, I would like to know how they don't have more than one. Like, I feel like the Malfoys have more than one house uh, More elf. than likely, yes, I would think so. But maybe because Dobby's been there a long time, he's loyal. Maybe I could understand. Dobby's a great little house elf. We get more of him throughout the series and I love him. He's yes. great. But it's a big scene because then... Like, Dobby's been all about Harry. He's like, I've heard about you. You're so great, but I never knew how nice you were. Mm -hmm. And then when, like, Lucius Malfoy tries to attack Harry, Dobby's like, not in front of me. And he snaps his fingers and, like, throws Lucius back. He just, like, attacks him. And he's, like, thrown back and he lands on his back. He's like, what just happened? And I'm just sitting there, like, reading this. And I'm like, wow, Dobby go off. <laughs> Which almost makes you wonder. It's like, why are the elves not in charge if he has that much power? Yeah, it's it's really interesting to figure out, like, the enslavement and of them and, like, how it really works. Because mm -hmm. the elves have, like, they have powers. They have magic. So it's really interesting yes. um, in the series. But, yes, it, it's been great. And... Yeah, and so uh, back to what we were doing. Up next will be the Scholarly Second, so stick around for that. And thank you for listening to today's segment on the Chamber of Secrets. And thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me again. And now for our Scholarly Second, where we talk about scholarly works related to Harry Potter. Today's Scholarly Second is brought to us by Samuel Saunders, whose article is titled, no More Detective Work or I'll Write to Mom, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and Popular Detective Fiction. So as we know, the Harry Potter series is widely understood as a children's fantasy fiction centered on magic and a constant battle between good and evil, but also as a series of formulaic investigative detective stories. The author argues that the Chamber of Secrets first manifest what Stephen Knight terms the clue puzzle detective fiction or the whodunit, which is fam famously popularized by the golden age crime fiction authors such as Agatha Christie. 
but it also connects to the tradition of juvenile crime fiction that which is a genre that placed children and often groups of young people at the center of mystery narratives the story also presents readers with a series of connected interviews between the detective mainly harry but also including ron and hermione and various suspects or witnesses which is a nod to police procedure and these interviews also provide increasingly irrelevant information leading to that epiphany moment where the clues are all put together and the crime is solved. And the final structural characteristic that connects the Chamber of Secrets with detective fiction appears at the end where the protagonist detectives gather interested parties together to reveal the solution, which is also known as the drawing room scene. Um, after Harry, Ron, and Ginny escape the Chamber of Secrets, and they return back into the main level of Hogwarts. Um, Professor McGonagall, Albus Dumbledore, Molly and Arthur Weasley are all gathered and Harry takes stage to explain everything that's gone on this past year at Hogwarts and what just happened in the chamber. We also get to see the observable changes that take place within the series with regards to its status as crime fiction, which contributes to the debate by highlighting how the series has effectively targeted readers who have progressed from childhood to adulthood alongside the stories themselves. And I would like to finish up our scholarly second by saying I think Samuel Saunders brings a great perspective to reading the novels in another way by looking at them as through a detective lens. Um, I had never thought about it this way, but reading his Reading this article really made me realize how much the Harry Potter series is truly a detective crime novel. Thanks again for exploring with me today. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about today's episode, or ideas for what you want to hear in future episodes, you can DM me on Instagram at alexandra's underscore amazing underscore adventures, or you can leave a voice message on our Anchor profile.